Hello everyone and welcome back to Daily Kaylee's 13 Days of Halloween. Today's episode is about the dating game killer, aka Rodney Alcala, Alcala, however you would pronounce that. I'm not the best at these names. Um, he is called the dating game killer because in the midst of his murder spree, he was a contestant on the television show The Dating Game in 1978. That is literally the only reason he is called that, (laughs) but I thought I would go ahead and clarify that at the beginning of this episode so that you're not confused the entire time. A little background on Rodney Alcala. Alcala. He was born in San Antonio, Texas in 1943 to a Mexican-American couple. In 1951, Rodney's father moved their entire family back to Mexico, where he was from, and then, and three years later, abandoned them. In 1954, shortly after his father left, Rodney's mother moved them back to America, and Rodney, his two sisters, and his mother all moved to Los Angeles. In 1961, When Rodney was 17 years old, he joined the U.S. Army and he served as a clerk. Just three years later, he suffered from a nervous breakdown. And during this breakdown, he went AWOL. He left Fort Bragg in North Carolina and hitchhiked all the way back to his mother's house in Los Angeles. Amidst this mental breakdown that he was having while in the Army. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder and he was discharged from the military because of his mental illness, basically. After being discharged from the Army, Rodney went on to graduate from the UCLA School of Fine Arts and then he later went on to study film at NYU. The first known crime that Rodney committed was on September 25th, 1968. And an eyewitness saw him take an eight-year-old girl into his Hollywood apartment. This eight-year-old girl was named Tally Shapiro. Or Tolly. I'll say Tolly. Um, He called the police because this is really sus. This grown man was bringing an eight-year-old girl into his apartment. And the police arrived. Tolly was found alive but she had been raped and beaten with a steel bar. When the police arrived, Rodney Alcala was nowhere to be found. He had fled the apartment. He then leaves Los Angeles to go to New York, and this is when he enrolls in NYU. He is avoiding the police, and when he enrolls at NYU, he uses a fake name, and he now goes by John Berger. In 1971, he got a counseling job at an arts camp in New Hampshire that was for children. He was still using the name John Berger, but he changed the name slightly so that it would be harder to track him. In June of this same year, when he starts at this art camp, a 23-year-old flight attendant by the name of Cordelia Michael Crilly was found raped and strangled in her Manhattan apartment. Her murder actually remained solved, or remained unsolved, sorry, 
until 2011 before it was connected to Rodney Alcala. Also, in 1971, after all these suspicious crimes had happened, the FBI added Rodney to its list of 10 most wanted fugitives. That is how serious this was already, and he had only committed one absolutely known crime. A few months after the FBI added Rodney to this list, two children that actually were attending this arts camp in New Hampshire saw his photo on an FBI poster at the local post office. They contacted police, and Rodney was arrested and extradited back to California. At this time, Tolly Shapiro had, her entire family had moved to Mexico, and they would not allow her to come back to testify at his trial to talk about what happened to her, because she was traumatized. She was only eight years old, and they refused to come back for this trial. Because of this, the police were unwilling to charge Rodney with rape and attempted murder without their primary witness, Tolly Shapiro. Because of this, Rodney was only convicted of child molestation and he only served three years. He got parole in 1974 after only 17 months. Less than two months after he was released on parole, he was arrested again for assaulting a 13-year-old girl who was referred to in court records as Julie J. According to Julie, she had accepted a ride from Rodney, assuming that he was going to be driving her to school that day. Obviously, that is not what happened. He went back to jail, and he was once again released on parole after two years. I don't know why they kept releasing this man, but... In 1977, after he was released from jail the second time, he had a parole officer in Los Angeles. And his parole officer, for some ungodly reason, permitted Rodney to take a trip to New York City. Even though he was a flight risk and a repeat offender and was dangerous, he allows him to go to New York City. About a week after arriving in Manhattan, Rodney killed a 23-year-old woman by the name of Ellen Jane Hover, who was the daughter of Herman Hover, and he actually owned a popular Hollywood nightclub. Her remains were found buried under heavy rocks on a hillside overlooking the Hudson River, and this is about half a mile west of the Phelps Memorial Hospital in Sleepy Hollow, New York. The following year, in 1978, Rodney got a job at the Los Angeles Times as a typesetter. He did not work there very long. He was interviewed by members of the Hillside Strangler Task Force, which the Hillside Strangler is another serial killer that was present in Los Angeles during this time. But they interviewed him because they were investigating known sex offenders in the area to try to to find this man, basically, to find the Hillside Strangler. He was ruled out as the suspect, but he was arrested and served a brief sentence again because he was in possession of marijuana when they interviewed him. He, I mean, he is constantly in and out of jail already. 
during this period, Rodney had somehow convinced hundreds of young men and women that he was a professional fashion photographer and that he wanted to photograph him for his fashion portfolio. A woman that he worked with at the Los Angeles Times later told the police that Rodney would show these photos to his co-workers. And the woman said, I thought it was weird, but I was young and I didn't know anything. So I was like, whatever. She said she asked him why he took the photos. And he claimed that their mothers asked them to, even though she remembers that these girls were naked in the photos. Another woman came forward to talk to, to police. And she was a woman who, she, who allowed Rodney to photograph her in 1979. And she said that he said he was a professional, like I believed him. So in her mind, she was being a model for him. She was modeling. This was a a career move, basically. This was a job. She said that his portfolio also included many, many pictures of naked teenage boys. And a lot of these photos were sexually explicit. Most of the subjects in Rodney's photographs are still unidentified today. And the police are afraid that some of these other subjects of these photographs may be additional victims that have not been found. In 1979, while pretending to be a professional fashion photographer, Rodney knocked unconscious and raped a 15-year-old girl by the name of Monique Hoyt while she was posing for photographs. As I said, in 1978, Rodney appears on The Dating Game, and the host introduces him as a successful photographer and, you know, like, tried to make him appealing to women. Um, One of the women on the show described him as being very strange and creepy, and she refused to go on a date with him, basically. And honestly, it probably saved her life. Now, the crime that finally got Rodney Alcala convicted was the murder of Robin Samso. I think I'm saying that correctly. She was a 12-year-old girl from Huntington Beach, California. And she disappeared somewhere between the beach and her ballet class on June 20th, 1979. She had spent the afternoon at the beach, and she was supposed to walk to ballet class, and she never showed up. Twelve days later, her decomposing body was found in the Los Angeles foothills. Robin's friends told the police that a stranger had approached them on the beach and was asking to take their photograph. The detectives got a sketch of the photographer and circulated it around. Rodney's parole officer recognized him and identified him. They searched Rodney's mother's house in Monterey Park, and they found a rental receipt for a storage locker in Seattle. They searched this locker, and they found Robin's earrings. Rodney was arrested in July of 1979, and he was held without bail on on a a reasonable a reasonable um, foot here. I guess is what I'm looking for. That was a very reasonable thing to do after they have let him out endless times. The following year in 1980, 
he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for Robin's murder. However, his verdict was overturned by the California Supreme Court because they had improperly informed the jurors of his prior sex crimes. And it could have led to a biased jury. So, in 1986, six years later, they tried again, and it was compl- it was identical. The verdict was the exact same. It was once again overturned in 2001 because it was it was insane. It was insane how many biases the jurors could have had from this case. Not once, but twice. Two years later, after the second trial was overturned, <coughs> excuse me, they were preparing for their third trial in 2003, and this is when they learn that Rodney's DNA matched DNA left at two rape and murder scenes in Los Angeles. After this, they found additional evidence, including another cold case that his DNA matched, and he was then indicted for the murders of four additional women other than Robin. These women were Jill Barcombe, who was 18, and she was a New York runaway. Her body was found rolled up like a ball in a ravine in Los Angeles in 1977. Georgia Wixton, 27, she was bludgeoned to death in her Malibu apartment in 1977. Charlotte Lamb, who was 31, she was raped, strangled, and left in the laundry room of an apartment complex the following year in 1978. And then Jill Parento, who was 21, and she was killed in her apartment in Burbank in 1979. All of these bodies were found posed in carefully chosen positions, according to the police. They also found another pair of earrings in Rodney's storage locker in Seattle, and it had residue on them that matched Charlotte Lamb's DNA. During these trials, Rodney claimed he was innocent and that he did not murder anyone. He wrote a book, if you can believe it, titled You, the Jury. And basically this whole book is him claiming he's innocent and suggesting another suspect. As you can guess, it didn't really work out for him. I don't think anyone believed he was innocent. The final trial ended with the same conviction and it did not come until March of 2010. He was sentenced to death for a third time. Not only for the murder of Robin Samso, but for the four additional murders as well. Like I said, they have so many photographs that Rodney has taken and they still have not been able to identify most of them. In March of 2010, after he was sentenced for the third and final time, the Huntington Beach, California, and the New York City Police Department released 120 of his photographs and asked for the public to help identify these people. And 
they were hoping that by identifying these people, they could determine if any of these women or children that he photographed could have been additional cold case victims. About 900 more photos that Rodney took could not be made public because they were too sexually explicit. In the first few weeks, the police reported that about 21 women came forward and identified themselves in the photos. And at least six families said they believed they recognized loved ones who had disappeared years ago and were never found. None of these photos were ever connected to a missing person case or an unsolved murder until 2013 when one family member recognized a photo of Christine Thornton, 28, whose body was found in Wyoming in 1982. That is the only person who has been identified as an additional victim. As of this year, they still have 110 of the original photos posted online, and they are still looking for help identifying these people. Rodney died in prison on July 24th, 2021, a little over a year ago. He was 77 years old, and he died of natural causes before he, his death sentence was carried out. Let me know what you guys think of this case. I think this case is insane. Even though his, his alias, I guess, the dating game killer, is a little bit misleading, this case is still absolutely insane. And I think that without the intriguing headline, the dating game killer, a lot of us would have never heard of this story. Let me know what you guys think. I hope you enjoyed this case, and I will see you guys tomorrow. Bye, guys.